I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We just have four verses this morning. We'll be reading Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Hear now God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Great God in heaven, we rejoice at the privilege of gathering this morning to worship you and to hear from your word, Lord. We could not know you if you did not reveal yourself to us. And we thank you that you have, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself in salvation in your holy gospel through Jesus Christ. We pray now that you would help us as we attend to this good news, that your Holy Spirit would be with me and with all of us to see and treasure Christ and to know him as our Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I begin, I wanted to bring greetings from Ian and Hannah Hammond, uh, who many of you will know and love. If you don't know them, uh, you should know them and you will love them. Uh, as, as I think was announced in the church email, Ian was supposed to preach, I think, last week um, and was unable to because they're in Denver where uh, I was actually with them in Denver for an RUF training uh, and Hannah developed a gallstone, which then in, upon removing it turned into pancreatitis and so she, now she's hospitalized for uh, two to four weeks. So. Uh, Thank you for praying for them. Continue praying for them. Pray for healing and comfort. And um, they just had a new baby, uh, their first, Finley. And so Ian's mom is there in Denver helping all that to happen. Um, it's a lot, uh, but they're in good spirits and uh, they send their love and, and gratitude to you guys for uh, your partnership in ministry. I, like Ian, and with RUF, I work with undergraduate students at Northwestern. Ian works with international students. And when they arrive here next month, I get the, the joy of, of small talk for about two months getting to know students. And you know, you've gotta, these are Northwestern students, they're, they're really bright, sometimes a little bit awkward, and so you've gotta have conversations ready for them to keep them, keep them going. And one of the easiest and, and first questions you'll ask somebody is, where are you from? And Northwestern students come from all over the country, all over the world, and where are you from is actually a, a helpful question. It's not just a throwaway. Uh, I can learn a lot about a student by knowing where they come from. Uh, you can learn a lot about me from knowing where I come from. I'm from Texas. That, that affects who I am. Where a student comes from will help me know whether or not January is going to be particularly hard for them when it rolls around. Um, and I can learn a lot about somebody. And, and, and that's a reality that's just true about us as people. And in our passage this morning, Paul is recognizing that. And he's actually turning it into something of a command for us. Where we are from does affect how we live. And Paul here in this passage wants us to understand that where we are from should affect how we, are live, how we live. Paul says, this thing is true about you. You are citizens of a hidden kingdom, we're going to see. Therefore, live your lives as citizens of that kingdom in light of its realities and in light of the rule of Christ. There is a call here 
in this passage, as often is the case with Paul, do this, but he doesn't leave that alone. He gives us a grounding because of this. He calls us to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom because indeed we are and our lives are hidden with him. As we unpack this text, that will form our outline. First, our hidden kingdom, and second, our hidden life. If you look at this text, we have two commands here at the beginning. Seek the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above in verse 2. Seek the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above. This is a comprehensive picture of what we're about as people. The idea of setting your mind on the things that are above, that, that has the air to me of like going into your room, shutting the door, thinking really hard, you know. And, and, and there is some aspect of that here, but the word here is much simpler than that. Uh, it's just think. Paul says, think about the things that are above and seek the things that are above. And when we talk about what we think about and what we're seeking, that pretty well captures what we are about as people. It's a comprehensive picture of, of who we are and what we care about. Consider this morning, as you've sat here, what have you thought about in the last 20 minutes other than God and his gospel? Surely there have been some things. That's gonna, that's gonna, that would tell you a lot about what you're caring about right now. And what are you seeking with your life? Those two questions define us in a, in a rather holistic way. And so Paul says here, seek and think about the things that are above. Orient your lives, both in what you consider up here and what you're doing out there, around the things that are above. Now that then raises the question, what are the things that are above? Does this mean that we need to leave this world? That we need to go to a monastery? Do we need to meditate to some higher plane of existence? No, that's not what Paul is saying here. So what does he mean by the things that are above? And I want to give you my conclusion and then defend it from the text. The things that are above for Paul in this text is something more like saying, seek and think about American things. It's a, it's a kingdom and citizenship issue. The things that are above reflect where we are from. I had the privilege uh, several years ago of spending some time in India, uh, and, and for much of that time was uh, in rural India working uh, with some, some Christian folks who are helping out folks, and uh, not really being all that helpful, but, but enjoying the experience. And we, part of that experience was eating Indian food uh, all the time. And, and I'm okay, I kind of like Indian food, but it's not my favorite. And so at the end of our time, we got to go to Calcutta. And we were in the big city, and I knew, I had an idea, and it was true, that there would be some American fast food in Calcutta. And after two weeks in rural India, to go into Calcutta, my mind was set on American things, and I was seeking American things. I don't like McDonald's, I don't eat McDonald's here, and yet that was the most delicious meal I had had in quite some time, right? Okay, that's a picture, I think, I want to suggest, of what Paul's saying here. Seek the things that are above. Okay, let me defend that for you. First, what is the, what's the one thing that we hear about above in this text? Look at verse 1. Seek the things that are above. What's the data point we get? Well, that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
That phrase, seated at the right hand of God, is not a throwaway. It's very important. It's authority language, and it's an allusion to Psalm 110, where David says to Yahweh, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the New Testament understands this to be fulfilled in Christ. And so Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 21, alludes to this verse again, saying that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And so when Paul says that above is the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he is speaking about Christ's kingly reign, his rule. He has accomplished that which he has come to earth to do, and now he is seated reigning, ruling as king at the right hand of God. This idea of authority and kingdom is already on Paul's mind in the book of Colossians. We're not going through the book uh, in a series right now, but if we had been, back in Colossians 1.13, Paul tells us that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What God has done in the gospel, if you are in Christ, he has changed your kingdom allegiance. He has changed your citizenship. And the last data point for you to fill out my argument comes from Philippians chapter 3. This is the one other place where Paul talks about setting your mind on something. And he says this, speaking of those who are outside of Christ, verses 19 to 20 of Philippians 3, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. And then he has a but. But, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's the contrast. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so that's what he's doing here in this text. He says, seek and set your mind on the things that are above, saying live as these citizens of Christ's kingdom, of heaven where Christ is reigning and ruling. If we think about it, our, our citizenship and our kingdom allegiance affects the way we live. It determines our values and priorities. We were just on vacation and uh, long story, but Two of our kids, before our vacation, uh, went to hang out with my parents in Texas. Uh, and so they had a week of grandparent time. And for those of you who are young parents, or if you are a grandparent, uh, you will know that young children have a remarkable ability, right, to change their behavior based on who's in charge. And so when they go to grandparents, there is immediately a regime change, and they act accordingly, right? And then they come back into our care, and it takes a, a discouraging amount of time to uh, bring them back to heel, so to speak. Who's our ruler? Who our ruler is affects how we live. And, and this is true of toddlers, and it's true of, of 45-year-olds. Um, and Paul recognizes that, and he's saying, your ruler is Christ. Live like it. But even more than that, and we see this in immigrant communities, we see this if you've moved states, uh, our citizenship, our kingdom allegiance, shapes our affections, our desires, what we love, what we seek. My um, ancestors, so to speak, my uh, several generations back, came to, came to the United States from Germany. 
they came to central Texas uh, around the turn of the century, the, the last century, in the late 1800s. And uh, my grandmother, who was a Brustead, which is a German name, uh, when she passed away, we were going through her things, and we found a ring, a little tin ring that had an iron cross on it. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, looked it up. What, is, what was this? Well, here's what it was. Uh, at the outset of World War I, um, before the Americans got into the war, the German immigrants in the United States, who still spoke German, still identified as Germans, uh, sent their wedding rings to Germany to support the war effort. And, it, and, and as, a, as a token of appreciation, the Germans sent back these tin iron cross rings, which they were to wear in the place of their wedding ring as a symbol of their allegiance to their homeland. Now, my hope, and I think this is true, is that my, my, uh, my great-great-grandmother, whoever that was, became a, a, a patriot and, and loved the Americans in World War I. But in that moment, right, she was living in central Texas, in America, and yet her mind was set on things in Germany, and she was seeking the things of Germany. She was using her treasure to seek those things. That's a small picture of what it looks like for us to live as citizens of Christ's hidden kingdom, to set our mind and to seek the things that are above. And if we want to see that fleshed out, we could have kept reading in Colossians chapter 3. Because what does it look like to seek the, the things above where Christ rules? Well, Paul explains that to some extent. If you look at verse 12, if you have your Bibles open, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does it look like to seek and set your mind on the things that are above? It looks like to live your life in the pattern of Christ, which Paul then lays out so beautifully in this text. To above all things put on love, to live lives of humility and meekness and patience and kindness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. This, this is what it looks like for us in this life to set our minds on the things that are above and to seek them. But the reality uh, is that this is hard, right? Uh, it's hard to do this. Hopefully you've figured that out if you've tried to be a Christian for any length of time. Um, it's hard for a number of reasons to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Uh, first, because the kingdom is hidden. We don't see it. Christ is not our president. He's not our governor. He's not our mayor. And our affections and our desires, in many cases, are shaped much more by authorities in New York and Los Angeles than they are by the authority on high at the right hand of God. And so we have a confused kingdom allegiance. And moreover, our particular kingdom allegiance as Americans uh, makes us somewhat allergic to submission of any kind. And add to all that something that's been true since the fall, which is that we are selfish sinners who don't want to do the things that Paul describes in Colossians 3, 12 and following. I don't want to lay down my life for your interests. I want to secure my own and so Paul's call, high and lofty as it is, is also hard. And it would leave us discouraged if that was all it, there was. And yet Paul gives us more as he always does. 
Paul almost never gives us a command without giving us a grounding for that, a reason for it. And he does it here uh, by calling us to see our hidden lives in Christ. So we've looked at we've looked at the commands, and this takes us to our second point. We've looked at the commands. What is what is Paul calling us to do? He's calling us to seek and set our minds on the things that are above. Those are imperative verbs for those of us who remember our grammar. Uh, what are the verbs, though, that Paul uses to describe you and me in this text? The indicative verbs. Uh, you don't need to remember that. What, what is true about us? Look at verse 1. You have been raised. Verse 3. You have died. Verse 4. You will appear. If you are in Christ, Paul says, you have been raised, you have died, and you will appear. I'm not sure what y'all's liturgy at Westminster is for the Lord's Supper, but at many churches throughout history, part of the liturgy for the Lord's Supper is to announce the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. These three key truths that are found in the Apostle Creed as well, that are true of Jesus, that he has died, that he has risen, and that he will come again. What I want us to see in this text is that Paul does something surprising, maybe confusing, and he says those things are true of you and me. You have been raised, you have died, and you will appear. You have died, you have risen, and you will come again. We would be excused to say, Paul, no, those things are true of Jesus, but not of me. And Paul's response would be, yes. They are. You're right, and that's true, but that's exactly his point. That in the gospel, that which is true of Christ is true of you. Theologians speak of our union with Christ, which is a really helpful concept. Simply put, Jesus attaches you and me to him and walks through this life and through death and into resurrection with us on his back so that we get the benefit of his payment and we get the benefit of his righteousness and so that what is said of Christ can be said of you. Romans 6, 5, if you, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul says what is true of you is true of Christ. You have died, you have risen, you will come again. And so in one sense, then, we are living our lives in this world now. We haven't died. We might have faith that we will rise again. But in another sense, you have died. And your life, Paul says, as the summary statement, is hidden with Christ and God. Your life is, is out in front of you. You've already died and you've already been risen and you will come again when Jesus comes again. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want to pause and, and meditate on this remarkable statement for a minute. Your life is hidden in Christ. What do, you, what do we think we mean when we talk about our life? What does it mean to say our life is hidden with Christ? 
Paul's clearly talking about more than living and breathing and, and having cells that work, right? There's something more that's going on when Paul says our life. When we talk about our life, um, our life is something that we experience. It's something that we're doing. Um, it's substantive in a sense. I like to think of it when I, it's like this block of clay that we have that we're trying to make into something good and beautiful. We're creating some sculpture out of this time that we have. Our life can be wasted. Our life can be ruined. Our life can be well spent. It's vulnerable to forces outside of our control. If you've seen the play Hamilton, right? Uh, you get one shot at it. That's it. Don't waste it. And that's the way we see our life, right? We're building something. And we hear this uh, in the voice of teenagers. Some of you are teenagers. Many of you have been teenagers. Uh, have you ever heard a teenager say, my life is ruined? Have you ever said, my life is ruined? It's particularly sharp when it's directed at the parent. You are ruining my life, right? And what are they saying in that moment? This thing that I'm building is, is broken. I didn't get into that college I wanted to get into. That boy doesn't like me. I don't have a date to prom. I didn't make the team. I didn't get the grade. I don't have the friends I want. My life is ruined. And if you're a good parent, which I know you all are, or if you could speak to your old teenage self now as an adult, what would you say to your child, to your 16-year-old, my life is ruined experience? One thing I think you'd say, say, sweetheart, there is so much more to life than this reality that you are dealing with right now. It doesn't really matter where you go to college, right? That boy is, is kind of a louse. You don't want to hang out with him anyway. Um, the cool kids don't win in the end, right? The nerds are going are gonna, to are gonna rule the day, um, right? There's so much more to this life. Your life's not ruined. And that tender voice to the teenager is the voice in some ways that Paul speaks to us and that God speaks to us in this text. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 2 uh, has a similar sentiment, which I think adds nicely to this, where he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, and when he appears, you will appear with him in glory, Paul says. John says, what you will be has not yet appeared. There is so much more to your life than that which currently seems to be the case. One commentator on this text says this, the Christian hopes not merely for the coming of the Lord, but for the full revelation of what he or she really is. Paul, the prisoner, an eccentric Jew to the Romans and a worse than Gentile traitor to the Jews, will be seen as Paul the apostle, the servant of the king, and the Colossians, insignificant ex-pagans from a third-rate country town, will be seen in a glory which, if it were now to appear, one might be tempted to worship. That's our reality if we are in Christ. 
your life is hidden with Christ in God. What you will be has not yet appeared, but when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory, Paul says. We need to hear that this morning. As we come here, some of us, whether teenagers or grown-ups, feeling very much like our life is ruined. We've received a diagnosis that is not good. We've lost a job, we've lost relationships, we have sinned in some way that we can be forgiven for, but life will never be the same. And so we enter worship this morning with this voice, my life is ruined. And if that's you this morning, hear Paul's words. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What you will be has not yet appeared. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. There's so much more to life, and it's secured for you in Jesus. Your life is hidden with Christ. Others of us walk in this morning with a bit of a strut, right? We're figuring it out. We actually think that this life that we're forming is going pretty well. It's almost glorious. Things are working, and we're on the up and up. And if that's you this morning, you need to hear the very same thing. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What you will be has not yet appeared. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. Your glory is not now. Your glory is future. Your glory is hidden for the moment. And then most of us this morning walk in somewhere in between. This is where I am most days, bouncing between two voices in our head, one of despair, my life is ruined, and the other of pride, I think I can make this work, right? And we're desperately trying to hold it all together, right? Balancing, hiding, doing our best to make our life work. And we need to hear that very same thing. Your life, your glory is hidden with Christ and God. What you will be has not yet appeared. This is good news, brothers and sisters, as we walk through a world that is difficult, through lives that can be so often disappointing. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God. What we will be has not yet appeared. How then does this connect to Paul's command to seek the things that are above and to set our minds on the things that are above, to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom. In one sense, and Paul does this a lot, Paul's simply saying, be who you are. This is true of you. Now live like it. And that's important, right? Your, your lives are hidden with Christ. You are citizens of his kingdom. Your glory is future. Now live like it. But he gives us a little bit more than that, I think, in this text. Not only does he tell us why that's the case, he gives us a hint at how we can actually do the things to which we are called. If we look back at Colossians 3, 12 through 17, put on as Christ, put on as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Many of you have lived long enough to realize that compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience are not generally the way to get ahead in this world. Right? 
If you are trying to make the most of your life right now, this is not the guide of how to get there. You need to go out and grab what's yours. You need to go ahead and protect your interests. You need to be ambitious to the point of excluding others from your interests. You need to go out and take it. Again, this is basically the lesson of Hamilton's life as presented by Miranda in that play. You have one shot. Do it. Don't be compassionate. Don't be patient. Go get it. And we live like this especially when we're insecure in our life being the way it's supposed to be. Add to all this the call to love that we find in verse 14, above all these things put on love, and we recognize that Paul's call here is premised on a reality that our lives are hidden in Christ. Because the call to love is a call to lay down your life to lay down your interests, to take that block of clay that you are forming and if necessary to throw it on the ground and let it crash for the sake of someone else. To lay down your glory, to lay down your interests, to lay down your life, to ruin it yourself in the name of love. And friends, the only way that we can do that, the only way we have any hope of doing that is if we believe that what Paul says about us is true, if we believe that our lives are hidden with Christ and God, if we believe that our glory, that thing that we are seeking every day when we wake up, is not yet, but it is secure, and it's in Jesus. And if that's true, if that's true, then you can go out today, you can go out on Monday morning, and you can live a life that is compassionate and kind and patient and gentle and that is willing to lay down your interests for the sake of your brother and sister. What's really cool to me about this reality and the way that Paul puts this together is that this is exactly how Jesus lived his life in this world. This logic was Christ's logic. In Hebrews 12, verse 2 The preacher to the Hebrews invites us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that same right hand of the throne of God there we talked about already. But do you see what Jesus did and how he did it? He did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross because he knew that his glory... And his joy was future and hidden. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to live our lives now for the joy that is set before you in your hidden life in Christ. Pause then to consider just how all-consuming Paul's call here is for us to look to Jesus. Both in the grounding, the because, and in the commands, it's all about Jesus. Do you want to know how to live your life? Look to Christ. Look to Christ as your ruler and look to Christ as your pattern. Love like Jesus. You want to know how to do that and why to do that? Look to Christ. Your life is hidden with him. His work 
on your behalf is secure such that it is true truth that you have died, you have risen, and you will come again. What you will be has not yet appeared. Your glory is secure, but it is not yet. So as you seek to live your life in the pattern of Jesus, look to him in all things. Your destiny is tied up in him and in his work, not your own. Our life is secured by the work of another. Now look to Jesus and walk in his ways. Dear friends, your life is hidden with Christ in God. What you will be has not yet appeared. But when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now go and love like Jesus and lay down your lives for his name. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you do not leave us with bald commands, but that you give us great power. Power that humbles us, to be sure. Power that is beyond our own strength, and yet secure hope in the work of the true strong man of the one who has triumphed on our behalf and who reigns and rules in heaven and awaits his return to this earth. Lord, would you help us to live as citizens of his kingdom, secure in the work that he has done on our behalf, knowing that our lives are hidden with him and willingly laying them down then in this world for the joy that is set before us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you all to stand.